0: I'm Chris Sheets, and I'm your host for the Celebrity Podcast, where we sit down with celebrities from the worlds of music, sports, TV, and movies to hear their stories about the pets they love. He was in Harper's arms the entire afternoon, just hanging out, eating all the you know the hors d'oeuvres and stuff like that. How cool is this? Charlie doesn't even realize he's in the Prime Minister's arms. The Celebrity Podcast. Available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
1: Harper.
2: The Morning News with Sue Dl and Andrew Schultz on 770 CHQR.
0: Coming up to 8, 12 on the morning news, and uh, what a busy weekend in world news. Uh, for details, we're uh, joined by Reggie Cicchini, global national correspondent. Uh, good morning, Reggie. So, uh, I guess uh, where to start uh, from the uh, huge demonstrations in the street uh, in Iran over the weekend to Donald Trump's continued tweeting? Uh, what's the latest you have for us on the Iran incident?
2: Oh, well I mean look the president within the last couple of minutes just tweeted out that Iran will never have a nuclear weapon so we know that the president is still very focused on this situation that he has kind of uh, escalated to a new level with uh, with last week's uh, uh, strike in Iraq and with the ongoing now kind of protest and tension and rallying around the Iranian government uh, happening through the streets of Tehran and throughout the country uh, there there is a newly destabilized region in that was already incredibly uh, unstable to begin with and the questions right now facing both the president and his administration are what were you thinking and what is going to be the plan since we don't know what's going to happen next
3: well yeah and that's the the chatter right what's the blowback going to be is has the threat level in the united states been upped since this happened
2: well, they're trying to, I mean, so, you know, we, we got out of the habit of using the colors for, you know, we're sitting at a terror threat of orange now or a terror threat of red. Uh, we're, we're simply saying that there is a heightened uh, security around some of the major uh, centers in Washington throughout New York as well. You know, uh, some of the, the major areas in northern D.C. around the National Security Agency and through uh, kind of Walter Reed Medical Center, they've kind of upped and increased their uh, security today. So we are seeing a bit of, of a uh, kind of security increase throughout Washington the US is kind of just operating as it normally would we're simply just waiting to see you know what's going to happen with these continued uh, threats that are coming out of both Iran and through Iraq now uh by uh, you know by way of of saying look you know if this is what you're going to do we are going to hold these threats over you and it's kind of leading to these uh impromptu comments from the president like we're going to come and attack 52 targets in Iran uh the president may not understand that there are going to be consequences both uh from Iran and possibly uh you know constituted as war crimes if he decides to go forward with these these you know tweeted threats that he's making
0: you use the phrase, what were you thinking? So I wonder if you can clear this up for us, because uh, on uh, both sides of, uh, of uh, government in the U.S., uh, there was you know, a lot of people saying he's a bad actor. Uh, this had to happen sooner or later. Other people saying, you know what, uh, well, yeah, what were you thinking? This should never have happened. So where does each uh, party stand, and, and where is he finding support, and where is he having uh, folks put the brakes on his, or uh, poo-pooing, to lack of a better term, his actions?
2: Well, so, look, w- when it comes to the death of of Qasem Soleimani, there are very few people that are actually mourning this death right now in the U.S. There are a good number of tens of thousands of people whose whose blood are on the hands or was on the hands of Soleimani. And, you know, Republicans and Democrats alike are saying this man was nothing but pure evil. Uh, the Republicans are the ones who are lining up with the president, saying that this attack was necessary, that this takes out uh, an ever persistent threat to both U.S. personnel, U.S. citizens and U.S in the region Democrats are saying was this the proper way of going about removing Suleimani from this position higher up in the uh, in the Iranian military throughout the regime you know Democrats are saying there are measures that need to be taken Congress has these war measures that they're supposed to be approving of the president can make attacks but he he often does this without consulting with congressional leadership when it comes to uh kind of how how foreign uh foreign issues need to be dealt with so both sides can agree that this man was evil there's just a disconnect right now when they say was this really the proper way of going about and doing this because the answers are, we don't know how Iran is going to respond.
3: Well, that's the thing. You take out one threat, but perhaps it means many more to come. And even Germany, South Africa, there's so many countries that are coming out and saying, this has been a really, this is a, a this one, it, it could really destabilize things.
2: Well, it, absolutely, it can destabilize things. I mean, look, this is a region that is that is kind of ripe with conflict mm-hmm. that has never really been kind of uh, on stable ground. And the president kind of kicked a hornet's nest with this uh, with this attack that he carried out. But the president's other problem that he's going to deal with now is he he has spent the last three years going after uh, the people that he is going to need to lean on if this does escalate, not only in his own kind of intelligence and security forces with inside the U.S., he's kind of uh, uh, put himself on the sidelines when it comes to uh, NATO allies, when it comes to allies across northern Africa, when it comes to certain allies within the Middle East. The president has really made these relationships incredibly rocky uh, and kind of being held onto by little pieces of string. And I think that if the president does go any further or... If those surrounding the presidents, you know, namely Secretary Pompeo, who is, uh, you know, incredibly hawkish when it comes to Iran, uh, he may find himself with fewer supporters trying to help out in a situation that most people didn't want to see start
0: up. Well, Reggie, lots of moving parts to this one, and uh, I'm sure we'll be covering it in the days to come for sure. Uh, Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Reggie Cicchini is a global national Washington correspondent.
3: 709 on your Monday morning. Just recently, Alberta recorded its very first severe vaping illness. Uh, The Alberta case marks the 15th vaping-associated lung illness reported in our country. To get more on this, we're checking in this morning with Amin Thauer, who is a respiratory therapist and certified respiratory educator. He's the director of clinical services and education with Peak Medical Group. Good morning, Amin.
4: Good morning. How are you?
3: Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. So talk to us a little bit about this. I mean, vaping illness, what what does that actually mean?
4: Yeah, so vaping illness is is basically when, um, uh, you know, the the person experiences symptoms of um, shortness of breath, cough, there may be some chest pain or chest tightness, wheezing, fatigue. And that's usually due to... um, Possibly uh, the lungs being irritated or inflammation occurring within the areas of the lung, and uh, it usually prompts that uh, person to seek uh, medical attention.
0: Give us some insight uh, from your side of the fence there Amin in the sense that this is so new uh, that I'm sure that your whole profession had to kind of be educated as to what to look for uh, because vaping has been around just a handful of years
4: yeah so as um from the respiratory therapy point of view we we always with uh, with young adults or older ones we always say that you know what vaping it, probably not a good thing if you if you haven't if you just started it try to quit um uh you know because anything foreign you're putting into your lungs aside from medication obviously is probably not a good thing right Um, we're finding that with the younger population um, they're starting to they're the highest ones for vaping and then with the older population it's usually they're trying to quit smoking um, so they turn to vape and our message to them is okay that's fine but the end goal should be to stop vaping as well
3: it drives me a bit crazy, and not going to lie, because we, you know, we we almost eradicate smoking, for, especially with young people, and then vaping comes out supposedly as a cure to get you to stop smoking, and it's got young people smoking more.
4: Exactly. So there was a really interesting study done by David Hammond and his group on um, vaping um, for ages sixteen to nineteen in Canada, U.S. and England, and it found that in 2017, 8.4 percent of that sixteen to eighteen your age group was vaping and then in 2018 that jumped up to 14.6 and it's projected in 2019 that's going to be even higher right so um it's it's really it's really climbing in that uh in that sense among m- mostly all the populations
0: mm-hmm. and it's the younger folks as you mentioned but it's also uh, i understand the 14 before this case that even split between uh, women and men or uh, males and females
4: Yes, uh, correct. male's probably slightly higher, but uh, yeah, you're you're right that it's, it's almost equal in that sense.
3: So what do we know right now about vaping? Obviously, anytime you said it, anytime you inhale something into your lungs, it's dangerous and it's going to cause damage. What do we know at this point about vaping?
4: Okay, so the main problem with vaping is the ingredients inside the vape and the fact that it's not regulated in Alberta, right? So um, you, have, you have inside the vape, you have nicotine, you could have flavouring, um, you could have uh, things in, in, in the liquid such as vegetable glycerin and propylene glycol. Um, there could be contaminants such as nickel and aluminum. Uh, you know, all these like things like flavouring. We use it in foods and they're okay to ingest, but they could cause long-term damage in the lungs, right? They're not meant to inhale. Um, According to the Center for Disease Control in the U.S., they find two major culprits for for, uh, the lung illness, one of them being THC, which is the major component in um, marijuana, Um, And then the second one um, being vitamin E acetate, which is um, kind of a thickener that goes in there. And uh, it's a sticky substance. Now, we use vitamin E as a pill, which is fine. And vitamin E is also used in skin cream, which is also fine. But it's not meant for inhalation. Um, There was a recent... um, uh, a study here done on 29 people who had the lung illness in the United States, and um, they took lung fluid samples from all these 29 people, and all 29 of them, um, and there were two deaths within that 29. All 29 of them had the vitamin E acetate in mm. their lungs.
0: So I know you're not a legislator, uh, legislator here, uh, but what would you say? Is is it just a case of having government step in? Because, like you say, both the, well, the product's cheap, and there are no real regulations in our province. Yes, yeah,
4: so that that would be the number one regulation uh, step to take is that have, have the product being regulated the way um, cigarette cigarettes or tobacco is regulated at this point, right? And I'm not saying that we should people should go back to smoking or anything like that, but it it needs to be regulated for sure.
3: What about the uh, the marijuana vaping? Is that on? Did I, is that correct? It's on hold in Alberta right now.
4: Um, well, it. it it's, or cannabis
3: it's, vaping?
4: Yeah, it's not um, it's not on hold per se because you can still you can still get it. Uh, what we tell our patients is with marijuana vaping is that you know if you if you need to take it for um, medical reasons or what have you, it's better to ingest it in terms of oils and things and not to inhale it.
0: And what about I know they, again the regulations are one thing and that uh, is government based. Uh, your group, or do you know of any other groups that are trying to uh, bring an educational program out to the students? Because, as I mentioned, it's a cheap product, mm-hmm. and uh, you know every convenience store around so schools easy. has uh, has the product.
4: Yeah, so um, we're we're doing it in the in the community. I know there are programs within uh, Alberta Health Services in the, in their outpatient department where there are certified respiratory educators and um, nurses or respiratory therapists that do um, educate the patients um, there as well.
3: You know, I mean, we're running out of time, but I just wanted to ask you quickly, do, do you think that there's, is there a certain length of time we need in order to do enough research to say to people, hey, this is super dangerous to you in order to prove it to people? Because we don't have that background yet, do we?
4: No, we don't have uh, we, we don't we certainly don't have that research there's only been a handful of studies published so we do need some time as you know that these research studies do take time to get going and then you need about um a year's worth um of time to to get the people into the study and and analyze the results and everything like that so we're we're lagging behind a bit in that area
0: it's, it's scary stuff, but yeah. I guess uh, only time will tell. Thank you uh, for uh, giving us some information on uh, this case and about vaping as we move forward, I Amin. Mean, appreciate your time.
4: Great. Thank you for having me.
0: Amin Thaur is Respiratory Specialist and Director of Clinical Services and Education at Peak Medical Group of Companies.
3: January is Alzheimer's Awareness Month, an opportunity to focus on the people living with this devastating disease, as well as the loved ones who walk that difficult journey alongside them. So why is it so important that we have a day to recognize Alzheimer's? Let's check in with Sarah Salas, who is the Alzheimer's Society of Calgary, Director of Philanthropy and Engagement. Hi, Sarah. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Why is it important that we talk about and recognize Alzheimer's? Good question. Um, Yeah, well, currently in Calgary,
1: we have about 17,000 individuals who are living with a diagnosis of dementia, including Alzheimer's disease. About half a million Canadians um, are living with the diagnosis. So we're seeing a rise in the number of people diagnosed currently. Age is the biggest risk factor. For dementia and so because we have an aging population we are seeing the numbers increase Um, and in fact we're expecting the numbers to double over the next decade so it's very important that we uh, continue to raise awareness for this important issue.
0: You use the term Alzheimer's and uh, dementia can you uh, give us the difference between the two Sarah?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Alzheimer's uh, disease is a type of dementia. It's actually a cause of dementia, so there's lots of different types. So Alzheimer's disease um, is the most common form, making up about 60% of cases of dementia. Dementia really just refers to a set of symptoms, such as memory loss, and difficulty in problem solving whereas alzheimer's disease is the actual disease that causes those symptoms
3: are we any closer to finding out sort of what causes it or or a, a cure for it Um,
1: There are lots of studies happening around the world and lots of money being um, placed into research. Currently, there is no um, cure for Alzheimer's or the other forms of dementia. Um, But one thing that we are starting to see is that there is um, more studies happening around care. So we're focusing more on the quality of care that we're delivering for people who have a diagnosis um, until we find that cure.
0: Can you give us some of the warning signs, Sarah, as far as, you know, what's not normal aging and what is Perhaps Alzheimer's or dementia?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, normal aging, you know people do experience a certain amount of memory loss, that type of thing. Really, it becomes a problem when um, the symptoms start to interfere with your um, daily life. So for instance, a certain amount of memory loss is normal, but say for instance, if you go to the grocery store and you can't remember how to get back to your home, a journey that you do regularly or where your house is, then that could be a symptom. Um, Difficulty just um, doing everyday activities such as maybe like cutting an apple or that type of thing. Um, difficulty doing familiar tasks. So some of those things can be symptoms, but it's important to go and talk to your doctor and not make assumptions because um, some of those things can just be signs of aging.
3: Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you know, it's, it seems it's well beyond then, you know, I, I put my keys down somewhere and I can't find them. Mm-hmm. Is, is Would that be something we need to start thinking about or, or would it be doing that over and over and over again?
1: Not necessarily. I mean, I you know, I do that myself all the Me time. Me too. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so um, it's, you shouldn't start to worry just yet. Um, if you know if you're losing your keys that's kind of something that we all do it's like I said it's really those things that start to interfere with our ability to live a normal life that it can become worrying so if you if you're forgetting um, the name of somebody who's really close to you perhaps that could be um, an indication or um, like I said if you can't remember for instance where you live you know or how to walk back uh, when you're walking your dog and you can't remember how to get back to your house on a familiar route that could be an indication
0: how about the uh, genetics? Uh, is it uh, uh, hereditary? If uh, if my father or grandfather uh, suffered, is that a, a, a slam dunk that I'm going to be suffering from dementia
1: or Alzheimer's? Not necessarily. Um, actually, the uh, hereditary factors are pretty low. So, um, you know, there, there is a the familial risk of um, having uh, a type of dementia. Um, but those are actually very very low your chances of having that so um, that's why it's important to chat with your your doctor if you are
3: concerned. Sarah I know there's lots of research that has gone into things that we can do to sort of combat Alzheimer's or dementia so can you talk about some of those what are what are some of the things that we can do just in our general everyday life to, to keep our brains healthy?
1: Exercise is a big one. Of course, we talk about that for all kinds of conditions, but certainly um, doing some daily exercise. I think the recommendation is about 30 minutes a day of exercise. Eating a healthy diet, so the one that we recommend is the Mediterranean diet, so lots of um, healthy um, vegetables, fruits, nuts, um, fish, um, uh, healthy oils. Um, Staying social is really, really important, Um, so keep up with your social life. Um, You know, there's lots of clubs and, and ways of meeting people around town. Um, doing things that challenge your brain, so maybe learning a new skill. So rather than, you know, if you've done Sudoku for the last ten years, try a different type of puzzle or learn an instrument or learn a new language, that type of thing. Um, so yeah, there's lots of things that we can
0: be doing. This is one of these conditions that doesn't just affect the individual, but family, friends, coworkers. That impact is is huge and. Uh, of course, the care of our loved ones that have uh, dementia, d- dementia or Alzheimer's. What about resources in our city? Are there enough uh, for those families caring for somebody with uh, Alzheimer's?
1: There certainly are some resources around um, uh, at the Alzheimer's Society of Calgary, for instance. We um, have a number of support groups around the city. Uh, we provide education sessions for caregivers uh, twice a month in our office on McLeod Trail. Um, there's respite for caregivers through day programs. We have an adult day program called Club 36, which offers respite to caregivers. Um, Conversation Cafe is another really good resource that's popped up across town. It's just an informal get-together at different times of the month um places like uh, ca- um coffee shops and restaurants that type of thing um, there is a great magazine called Connections, uh, Dementia Connections magazine, which uh, comes out a couple of times a year. Uh, I believe the next copy is coming out in a few weeks. So there are resources, but we really do encourage people um, to reach out um, as soon as possible in the process so that they can access those resources because we know that people who reach out earlier experience better outcomes.
3: And Sarah, do you think in your experience have you found that you know folks who, who are living with a loved one who has Alzheimer's or some sort of dementia. Do you think it's it's super important for them to have that help? Because it's got to be a... I, I don't... I can't say I've experienced it myself, but I, I can not imagine it must be really difficult to watch someone you love... Using that sort of, you know, mental capacity.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's really, really important um, if you're taking care of somebody to make sure that you reach out and get some help for yourself. Um, You know, caring for a person who has dementia can be difficult um, and challenging. And so making sure that you have resources and people around you is very, very important. So, of course, I recommend that you reach out to the Alzheimer's Society of Calgary um, and, and we'll try our best to help you.
0: Well, uh, Premier Jason Kenney, uh, well, the province coming forward and saying, you know what, this will be Alzheimer's Awareness Month. What's it mean to have the government recognize the full month uh, to... uh focus on alzheimer's and dementia
1: it's so important and and we're so happy that we have this month to be able to raise awareness um, about this because like we said before the you know the number of people who have a diagnosis is increasing and and this is really about helping to break down the stigma that surrounds the disease as well so we really want to make sure that we can help as many people as possible connect and get the support they need
3: well thanks so much for joining us this morning sarah and talking about all this information that's out there Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Sarah Salas is the Director of Philanthropy and Engagement at the Alzheimer Society of Calgary. 9.09 now. Well, we hear lots about electric vehicles being the trend of the future and how popular pickup trucks still and always are here in Alberta. But what is coming for the auto industry in 2020 and beyond? To find out, we are checking in this morning with Greg Eagleson, General Sales Manager at Advantage Ford. Good morning, Greg.
5: Good morning, Sue.
3: How are you? Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy
5: New Year to you and Andrew. So
3: exciting trends, really, you know, when you look ahead to to this year and beyond, because no longer will we be seeing those little cars so much anymore.
5: No, a lot of people are getting away from little cars. I mean, other than the Koreans and the foreign brands that are still making them, because they, they make them a lot cheaper than the North American brands can, right? It, it costs them less money to produce these cars. So that's why we've all managed to get out of that market. No sense playing in something we're not selling many of. But this is truck country. Let's be honest with you, right? This is
3: this Absolutely.
5: Is if we sell uh, 100 vehicles for every 100 we sell, we sell 65 trucks.
3: And that's amazing when you think about, you know, we're trying to, you know, lower our carbon footprint. We're trying to save money with the price of gas, et cetera. But we're, we're still going for the pickups and we're still going for the bigger vehicles. This seems kind of odd.
5: Well, it, it's not as odd as what you think, Sue, because our carbon footprint isn't nearly as bad now with the way the new things are with these EcoBoost engines that as what it was three five seven ten 10 years ago. So everybody's doing their part, uh, and not only Ford, but, I mean, we're all doing our part that way to lower their carbon footprint. And electric is coming, but it's still quite a ways away. I know there's a lot of people saying, you just turn the switch and it happens tomorrow, but it doesn't. This thing's going to be probably a a five- to ten-year cycle before we start getting any sort of volume in these electric cars.
0: And, Greg, 20 years ago, every vehicle on the road besides a truck, like you said, here in Alberta, Mm. was a minivan uh, now being replaced by SUVs. SUVs people love them for the versatility I would bet.
5: Yeah and and it's funny the way the trends go because minivans were the thing to have back then. Yeah. And I don't know how many times were uh where we had a husband and wife come in and the wife said, look, I'm not driving a minivan. I'm not a minivan. <laughs> I, I, I want an SUV, right? It's just it, the market all just moves, it changes, it flows, and we just got to stay with it. You
3: no, know, in, in Europe, it's quite the opposite, right? They're still with the, the very small cars and that. But for us, North America, that's, we're going to see that trend continuing. And will they just completely take them off the line in terms of what they'll be making in factories?
5: I know, I think a lot, of, a lot of the cars are, I know Ford, we're getting out of the, the car industry other than our Fusion still around right now and the Mustang because it's a, the it's a longest running uh, muscle car. It's the only one that never stopped production since 1964. So we're keeping that, and and there's actually a a wonderful addition of that, which is like a Mustang SUV, which is coming in electric, which will be out here in about a year and a half. So we've already seen the prototypes of that and seen pictures of it, and and if it's half of what it looks like, it's really cool. Well,
0: and people used to joke about electric vehicles, Greg, and say they don't have the power, Uh, but now when you look at some of the 0-60 to specs on these electric vehicles, they've garnered respect, haven't they?
5: It's amazing. It's amazing the amount of power some of these have, yeah.
3: So I know no, it truly really is. You and I have talked a little bit about electric vehicles when I've been down there at Advantage Ford. So talk to people a bit about why it's not as, happening as quickly as, as we might think that it should.
5: Well, a couple things, you know, when there's there's a few things that people don't take into consideration. I mean, when you got an electric vehicle, what's running it? It's obviously a big battery. And what nobody's saying about with this footprint and everything is... Where, where, where do we dispose of these batteries? So you take, uh, when we first had it in our escape, I'd have uh, doctors, dentists come in go, I need an electric vehicle, I want to look the part. Well, if you're on the highway all the time and it goes into gas mode once you get up over 60, or if you've got your air conditioning on or your heater, which we need seven months of the year up here, it's in gas mode more, but you've also got 1,700 pounds more of batteries in that vehicle. So you're actually doing worse for your mileage than you, than you would if you just stayed with a gas one.
0: Wow, that's, yeah, I guess that's uh, from an insider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't think well, about something stuff
5: like they, that. They don't want to tell you, right? They, you know, everybody's so pro-electric and pro-this, pro but, you know, it's no different than anything else. What, what's going to happen 3, 5, 10 years from now when, when these batteries start going? Where are they going to dispose of these, right?
3: Well, Pro, pros and cons, yeah, of yeah.
5: course.
0: Right. You mentioned three, five, and ten years. Let's uh, get you to look into your crystal ball. <laughs> um, and I'm sure, like, in the years you've been in the business, you would not have expected these changes. Any nuggets you can give us of, of what we might see in our vehicles, what we'll be driving in even five years? In,
5: in five years, there, there's going to become more hybrids for certain. In Alberta, there, there's going uh, to be trucks all over the road like always. Mm-hmm. Every year, they're just getting better. The mileage is getting better. Like, I have people come in all the time that go, no, I can't afford a truck, I can't afford the mileage. And the mileage on, on our F-150 with the 2.7 is better than 80% of the uh, SUVs that are out there.
3: Wow. Well,
5: so they minimal. didn't even know it. And they go, really? I didn't know that. And, and you leave and let them take it for three, four days. So they go, just, just take a look at what it comes out to be. So it is night and day, and everybody's doing so much. I mean, the research is moving so fast, right? And it's just staying up with the market.
3: Well, you got to talk to the experts and you got to go see the pros at the the various dealerships, depending on what you want. But it certainly won't be small cars now as of 2020, will it?
5: (laughs) Definitely it won't be.
3: (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. You too. Appreciate it. Greg Eagleson, General Sales Manager at Advantage Ford.